Welcome to the panel on RNZ National Time for those afternoon horns with me, Wallace Chapman. Starting with the cost of living in New Zealand today, where a large chunk of the population are really fe- feeling the squeeze. We check in with a Nelson financial advisor just after four. How are you finding things? Hit with that car bill, oven need fixing, child needs a new school blazer. Also today, National Leader Chris Luxon said he would absolutely accept money from China to fund new roads. Or should we? An article explores that idea. Are you fine with New Zealand roads built with funding from China? Text me 2101. And vegetarian meat alternatives are generally more expensive and less healthy than traditional vegetarian staples like lentils, beans and chickpeas, says new research. And today on the panel, gold-plated sayings that are actually bad ideas. Here's one. Never go to bed angry. It's a great time to be angry, apparently. You've got seven hours to think about it. (laughs) That's right, Phil. Um, Live each day as if it's your last. If you did, you'd be day drinking and eating KFC all day. Text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Our panel today, as you just heard here, Phil O'Reilly, uh, MD of Iron Duke Partners, a global business leader. Phil, kia ora. Good to have you in the Auckland panel. Great to, great to be here. What doesn't Studio kill you makes you stronger. That's <laughs> well, another one. No, yes, it sometimes does. <laughs> exactly. All right, welcome. And also Anne Adine, a brand consultant who I think is in the studio in Ototahi uh, Kraju. Kia ora, Anna. Kia ora, Wallace. All right, now, investigations into the deaths of three people in Victoria after they ate wild mushrooms are still ongoing. One person is still critically ill. While interest in foraging has grown exponentially, this event has encouraged experts to warn people about the dangers that can be involved. Put simply, the message is, if you do not know what you're eating, don't eat it. With us is mushroom foraging expert Peter Langlands. He has a scientific background in zoology and ecology. Peter, kia ora. Nice to have you here. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. Hey, thanks for um, having the opportunity to talk. It's a pleasure. Quite important uh, story, this. And, and actually, look, it has you know galvanised the public, hasn't it, across the world. Can I ask you, what was your initial reaction to the story out of Australia? Uh, yeah, shock really. Um, but yeah, that's uh, certainly not an isolated case, and um, there's certainly a. Well, we've had a few close calls in New Zealand, um, so yeah, definitely. Um, the death cap has got the reputation, but there's certainly uh, there's a whole host of other um, deadly poisonous mushrooms out there. So as we say, there's not much room for error. God, it would put me off trying to collect mushrooms in the wild at all. Mm. I, I guess what I realised, uh, Peter, I didn't, I, I didn't realise actually how deadly some of these species are. Yeah, pretty much deadly regardless of dosage, to be honest, but they have to be ingested um, primarily. And, um, yeah, the death cat's got that twist that it tastes really good and it smells good and it's a reasonably attractive-looking mushroom, but, um, yeah, it's got deadly compounds in it and uh, certainly a delayed reaction time as well. So, yeah, um, as foragers, it's a key species we always take time to be aware of and, and avoid. Wow. Let's bring in our panel, Peter. Uh, Anna Dean. Yeah, it's interesting. When I read this story, I've actually been foraging for mushrooms in Poland and and in Switzerland with a dear friend of mine who is a Swiss chef, and it really gave me pause. 
um, at that time to think, oh gosh, I have no idea this is someone who'd been brought up in, in Europe. They're, mm. As children, they're out there foraging and, and collecting mushrooms and we really don't have that kind of culture. But I'm interested, Peter, it definitely seems like it's growing in popularity. I've heard your name bandied about quite a bit as the, the expert to go to. And also Liv Sissons has just put out her incredible book, Fungi, which sold out. So what do you think has actually started this whole trend or, or you know, the growing trend? Yeah, no, for sure. It really has ex- exponentially taken off. And, um, yeah, I think people... Uh, yeah, we're relatively new in New Zealand, like one of our prime eating mm, mushrooms of porcini really 20 years ago. Hardly anyone even knew they were in New Zealand, um, only a handful of people. And now, yeah, well, we've got a mushroom hunting Facebook page. It's got 56,000 people on it. And Good grief. Out, yeah, every day. And in look, there's just posts coming through literally every sort of um, 10 minutes on that page. Um, it's got a group of experts who generally make a really good job of identifying things, but you've got to really have some field experience firsthand with an expert forager and really just build up your confidence and just work um, you know, one species at a time. But yeah, I think people just really like that connection with the real world. Um, and you, you're getting away from digital media, you're just getting out, and um, there's a real sort of treasure hunting thing to mushrooms. They're ephemeral, they pop up randomly in some quite bizarre places, and you can just sort of go out and find them. Um, that sense of joy and excitement, really, okay. with, with mushroom foraging. Yeah, Phil O'Reilly. Yeah, and I, I remember being told by my parents, you know, never eat a mushroom that you, that you find anywhere in the wild because of course that was the issue but I think it was what a tragic thing that happened in Australia there's no question yeah. about it but I you know I th- there's a couple of thoughts here Peter one is uh, some of this might be well being driven by the fact that food's a bit expensive so people are deciding to get out and about and have a look see what they can find it might be you know fishing off the wharf might also be going up as a result so that you know more people potentially out there what's what's the story with uh, kind of farmers markets because you know, some of those, some you know, I walk into a farmer's market and, oh, these good, uh, you know, mushrooms that have been picked uh, locally and so on and so on and so on. And I don't know what those mushrooms are looking like. So what's a, what's an easy way I can kind of work out whether I should be eating those or not? Because it seems to me you're not going to pick up those at the countdown, are you? But you might pick them up at the local farmer's market where somebody's out foraging and selling them. What's What's the answer there? Yeah, well, my experience is generally actually foraged mushrooms aren't sold at farmers' markets. They're generally cultivated shiitake and oyster mushrooms primarily. Um, so, yeah, look, it really is a sort of, you have to be um, extremely careful uh, if you're foraging uh, mushrooms to sell. And um, there is also a little bit of a twist in that quite a lot of the wild foraged mushrooms for a small number of people will cause gastric upsets. So they're not necessarily poisonous as such, but they're species that can't be used commercially. So we've got species like the woodblower and the shaggy parasol that as a forager you can make your own individual choice to try them and you, you, you're not going to die from eating them, but you might get an upset stomach or you might discover a new mushroom that you can eat for the rest of your life. So there's a sort of interesting sort of risk thing there which is, you know, you've got to make an individual decision on, but... Um, for recreational foraging, there's probably about 15 species that are actually quite easy to identify. Um, and as long as you're really focused and you take the time to identify every mushroom, then you, you shouldn't have any problems. So it really is just a question of slowing down. Slowing down, checking, uh, be aware of your, your knowledge, uh, check out your sources. Um, do we have any poisonous or many poisonous mushrooms in New Zealand, Peter? 
Oh, we do for sure. Um, we've got a really, um, yeah, we've got a good good repertoire of them. Um, there's some overseas that we don't have in New Zealand. Uh, we don't have the um, Destroying Angel, but um, the, the names, the Funeral Bell, Destroying Angel, Death Cat, they don't leave much to the imagination. But you, you can't make any assumptions, and this is where people go wrong with mushroom foraging. They think, well, if a mushroom smells nice or it tastes nice or the slugs are eating it, I can eat it. And, and there's just no golden rules. You've just no. got to go species by species. Um, you know, it's like the Amanita muscara, the, the common toadstool that's red with the white spots. Yes. There are actually some parts in the world where um, people do actually take the time to, and they can prepare them and eat them. Um, yes. In Japan, there's um, a culture there where, where they actually eat the fly agaric, and in parts of Europe, they also eat fly agarics, although if they're not prepared properly, they're very toxic um, and hallucinogenic mushrooms. So um, a lot of it does come down to culture, and, and we are pretty new with mushroom foraging in New Zealand. This is where I think we really need to be cautious yeah. and just get those sort of golden rules in place of being a 100% sure. Um, if you've got a whole lot of mushrooms growing close to each other, don't assume they're all the same type. Take the time to individually identify each one. And the really scary thing that sends shivers up my spine is, is the photographs of the death cap growing off a porcini mushroom. Oh my goodness, so Peter. The, the, the two are growing together off the same mycelium base. And I've seen a photo in, in, from um, Europe of a death cap growing off a porcini mushroom. And it would be so easy for someone to assume that that was a baby porcini Well, Peter, mushroom. you're giving me mushroom nightmares, and I happen to love them. That's my favourite veggie, so I want to I want to stay well with my mushrooms, Peter. Uh, you've been a mine of information, Kyoto. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, gosh, he's knowledgeable, isn't he? Well, I just, I just, yeah. we should celebrate whoever it was in the world that came up with the name Shaggy Parasol for a for a yeah. mushroom. I just, that's brilliant. <laughs> I'm just thinking about um, freshly picked um, flat mushrooms and Absolutely. a bit of butter. Absolutely. You know, you got a bit of garlic. You, you got us, Phil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about. Anyway, time for I've been thinking. Anadine, take it away. Well, I've been thinking um, over the last few days about the National Party's policy around um, the the conversation around sex education in schools and just feeling how how backward that is, particularly when we've reached a point of understanding much more about the wants and needs and pressures that young people are under in terms of being able to access things like pornography on smartphones and things like that. And I had a very interesting conversation with a 14-year-old from Wanaka, actually, over the weekend. And this young woman was telling me that the um, children who are separated off by their parents to uh, not hear the sex education classes then just instantly get the information from their peers um, as soon as those classes are over and that the main thing that they were learning and that this young woman was really pointing out to me was that it was all mainly around issues of consent and having good open communication around all of the issues involved um, around sexual relationships. So um, I just think, you know, banning cell phones, banning sex education, it feels like some pretty pretty poor um, and backwards planning sex, to me. Sex education should be taught in the home, shouldn't it? Well, I mean, you just can't you just can't um, rely on all parents to have those kinds of conversations with their children. Fair I point. don't think. And would they rather get that information from the hundreds of thousands of um, sites that exist online at the touch of a button to be able to get their Good sex thoughts. education? Nice one, Anna. Kia All right, Phil O'Reilly. I've been thinking. Well, I've just come from uh, a great conference this afternoon uh, from the Disability Employers Network, and I've been thinking about disabled employment. I, I was I've been working in this space for. 
or many years now, decades now actually, because I, I decided I was going to be passionate about disabled employment because not that I've got a disability myself particularly or, or none that I know of in my family, but it was just it just occurred to me that disabled people were just so disadvantaged in the labour market. You know, you think women are disadvantaged in the labour market? You're right. Disabled people are round the pathway, down the hallway, across the river disabled. And so I, it, when I was at Business New Zealand, I decided to do some work in the space. And, and one of the things I thought was really important was that the employers should stand up and get a voice. In other words, the demand side of the labour market should stand up and get a voice. And that's what this Disability Employers Network's all about. It's got a lot of corporates now involved, like sort of Spark and uh, in New Zealand and Countdown and so on. And it's a great sort of voice for employers to talk to the disabled community and to regulators and say, how can we actually bring on more disabled people into our businesses and not just give them a job, but also give them a career? And it's really complicated, but I'm really passionate about it. And one of, it really took a dive during COVID because everybody had to go away and, and work out how to make sure their businesses survive. But it's really got a head of steam back now. That's one thing that The one thing that, that is kind of sad in a sense is we've still got a huge way to go to get disabled people you know, properly into work, properly into employment, properly into careers if they want to do that. And uh, but it's that such a, such goodwill in the room down there. It's such a good initiative, Phil. It's bright. As Brilliant. a person from experience on a walking stick, hard to get a job when you walk in there. And uh, well, from my experience, so yeah. well done you, well done the team. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going well. Yeah. Uh, Wallace, we should thank all those that came before us for trying all those mushrooms. <laughs> says Steve, and figure out which ones were tasty and which ones gave us insights. All right. Okay. Fair enough, Steve. Yeah, okay. Steve Darwin. Yeah, Phil O'Reilly. And a team of staff to on today's panel. Stay with us. Four to five right here.